Well, good morning, Westover. It's a delight to be back on campus and just to see what God is doing in your midst. And wow, how incredible. Thank you so much for being such a healthy local church that has a global impact. And this church does have a global impact. In fact, because of your commitment uh, to things like Convoy of Hope and your missionaries, did you know that the network of churches you belong to, the Assemblies of God, there are 10 times more Assemblies of God churches than there are McDonald's in the world. Come on, that's something to be proud of right there. And it's because of healthy, life-giving churches like Westover, and I thank you. I'm also delighted to be here on this special day. I don't know if you've discovered this, but now being general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, I have the ability to sanction certain Sundays as special days. And today is a special day in the life of this church because it happens to be your pastor's birthday. And so, come on, let's give it up for Pastor Jim. So I'm declaring on November 4, it's Jim Ryan Day in the Assemblies of God. What do you think about that? Thanks, Pastor Jim and Denise, for all you do for the kingdom of God in this area and around the world. Well, take your app, take your smart device, take your copy of God's Word if you have it, and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'm excited about the Word that God has for us this morning and watching the Word accomplish its eternal purposes. We've seen it twice already, people coming to faith in Christ and people uh, whose faiths have been encouraged and lifted as a result of looking at Scripture. Luke chapter 19, begin reading in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I want to put this story in context for you a little bit. First of all, the setting takes place in Jericho. Now, Jericho was a much nicer city then than it is today. It had a great irrigation system. The climate was sort of tempered all year round. There were a lot of date trees, a lot of date groves in Jericho. In fact, when the Bible makes reference to the land of Israel being the land of milk and honey, it's probably the sweetness of the honey from the date trees that they're making reference to. Not only was Jericho a great land of date groves and date trees, but it was also an economic center in terms of taxation. You see, the Romans determined that there would be three primary tax centers, Capernaum, Caesarea, and Jericho. 
Now, Jericho was not only an economic center, but everybody traveling to Jerusalem had to pass through Jericho. So there was a lot of, a, a lot of people coming through Jericho. It was an economic center. It was a, it was a commercial activity hub. And Jesus is passing through Jericho. In fact, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to present himself to be the Messiah. It's there that he'll be condemned to, uh, to death. He'll be crucified. All the activities of Holy Week are going to happen in just a few days. But it's also Passover, which means not only was Jesus and his followers coming through Jericho, but there were probably thousands of people. You see, Christ's reputation had grown. People had, had, had known of the miracles that he had performed. His radical kingdom teachings were spreading throughout the region. So it's conservative to estimate that there were maybe 10 to 12,000 people just kind of converging through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And then we're introduced to Zacchaeus. Say that name with me, Zacchaeus. I'll say it again, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, here's how he made his money. Whenever Rome would conquer an area, they'd take a census and kind of assess the profitability of that region. And then in order to collect the taxes, they would sell tax franchises. And Zacchaeus owned this taxed franchise of Jericho. Rome set an amount, but anything that he could collect above and beyond that amount was his to keep. Well, you can imagine the type of corruption, the type of extortion that would take place with that type of tax collecting system. And so Zacchaeus owns the tax franchise for Jericho, this booming economic center, this highly traveled center, and and he owns it. And the Jewish people hated tax collectors because they knew how corrupt, they knew how, 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 how wrong this system was. And so as a result, the Jewish people would ostracize tax collectors. That's kind of how Zacchaeus felt. He was, he was known that he was hated by his own people. He was ostracized. He never came out in public, and he was hated. It might interest you to know that the name Zacchaeus actually means pure and innocent. <laughs> Talk about falling drastically short of what the dreams the parents had when they were naming their child. But now Christ comes along, and in the middle of all of this Busyness, activity, high population. Jesus and Zacchaeus have a connection. And it's out of their connection that I think there's some life-giving truths for us to look at this morning. Uh, Some good reminders as well as some transformational concepts between Jesus and Zacchaeus' meeting at a tree. The first thing I notice about Jesus and Zacchaeus' interchange is that Jesus called him by name, even though they were never introduced. Jesus knew his name. Now, is it me or the older that we get, the more I realize just how much I can't control, especially as it relates to the future. In fact, not only can I not control the future, I don't even know what's in my future. 
But the Bible says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, God says, I will strengthen you and I will help you up. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did you catch that, Westover, that regardless of what happens to you, regardless of what you go through, you don't have to go through it alone. We have a God that will uphold us with his righteous right hand. Furthermore, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. The Living Bible puts it this way. See, I have tattooed your name on the palm of my hand. That's the verse my daughter's justified in getting their tattoo. <laughs> but I got to tell you, it's incredible to me to know that the God of the universe knows my name. I'm not a driver's license number to him. I'm not a social security number to him. I'm not some government-issued ID number to him. To God, he knows my name. The God of the universe today knows your name, and he upholds you with his righteous right hand. And because God knows your name, you can have confidence that, number one, he will never, never leave you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just create us and then walk away and try, tell us to try to figure it out on our own? No. Secondly, Jesus, because he knows our name, will always be watching over us. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 32, verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you and watch your progress. The God who knows our name will never leave us. The God who knows our name will guide us. And I'm grateful this morning that the God who knows my name will rescue me when I cry out to him. The psalmists is, are, the psalms are filled with, with scriptures that talk about crying out to God and God hearing his people. Jeremiah, when he wrote the book of Lamentation, talks about crying out to the Lord in his distress, and the Lord heard and rescued him. I suspect I discovered the power of uh, rescue from my uh, oldest grandson, Jackson. So let me just ask, are there any grandparents in the house? Can I just see your hand? If you're a grandparent, raise that high and proud, yeah. Have you discovered grandkids really are God's reward for not killing your own? <laughs> One of the things I've discovered about being a grandparent is I now know why that grandparents and grandkids have such a special affection. We share the same common enemy, the parents. <laughs> Jackson is our oldest grandson, five years old. And the, the other thing I've discovered about grandkids is how at an early age they know how to use this device right here. I mean, my grandson knows how to FaceTime me. In fact, whenever I see a FaceTime call coming in from my daughter's phone, I generally know it's Jackson. And the FaceTime call goes something like this. I hit the button. I see Jackson on the other end. And he says, Papa. I said, Jackson, how are you? And then he takes the phone from his mom's hand. He goes into his bedroom, and he starts showing me all the dinosaurs that are lined up in his windowsill. Then he goes over to his closet, and he shows me all of his Spider-Man pajamas and Spider-Man Then he turns around, and I can only see half of his face, and we have this delightful conversation, and it's a wonderful time. Well, on December 22nd, I received this incredible, distressful FaceTime call from my grandson, Jackson. Now, here's the backstory. Jackson's mom, my daughter, decided that in the middle of December last year, she was going to change his diet. She thought if it changed his diet, it would help his attention span. 
Now, mom and dad, I want you to support me in this, she would say. But my daughter put my grandson in the middle of Christmas season last year on a vegan, gluten-free diet. <laughs> i got to tell you, I thought I raised her better than that. But mom and dad, I want you to support me in this, she said. Oh, all right. So, so she puts him on this vegan, gluten-free diet to help his attention span. And on December 22nd, I see a FaceTime call coming in from my daughter's phone. I'm confident it's Jackson. Maybe he survived a visit to the mall and, and seen Santa Claus or got some new gift that he wants to show me. I hit send, and I said, hey, little buddy, how are you? And on the other end of the phone was this sad, starving-looking child <laughs> who started crying, Papa, Papa, I don't want to FaceTime. Rescue me, Papa, rescue me. I knew exactly what that plea meant. I said, little buddy, I'll be right there. I jumped in my truck. I went over. I got him. I plopped him in the front seat. I put the car strap down. We immediately went to the Sonic drive-thru. I got some loaded cheesy fries, a large strawberry Terminator limeade, and I was rescuing my grandson from that bondage of a diet, vegan, gluten-free. You see, when the circumstances were out of his control and when he didn't have the resources to get out of what he felt was a trap, he knew who to call. Papa. <laughs> Come on, Westover. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear and serve. You're not a name. You're not a government-issued ID. You're not some vendor. Number. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and he knows your name today. Hallelujah. He knows your name. Jesus and Zacchaeus were never introduced, yet Jesus immediately calls them by name. He doesn't say, hey, brother, hey, hey, ho, hey. Zacchaeus he knows our name. I think the second truth that I discover in Jesus and Zacchaeus' interchange is this. Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was at. In fact, the Bible says when he reached the spot. Oh, that's cool. That Jesus knows exactly where we're at, and he always reaches the spot. He knows what spot we're in. He knows what spot, where, where the spot we're at, and he knows that. In fact, the fact that Christ knows where we're at gives me confidence that his purposes are always at work in my life, regardless of what we're going through. You know, two of the most difficult experiences in life deal with something like this. Why is this happening to me? And secondly, being in a hurry when it doesn't seem like God is. Unless I miss my guest, all of us in this room, and maybe some currently are going through one of those, why is this happening to me? Or maybe you find yourself being in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is. Jesus knows where you're at. He's always at the right place at the right time. He knows the spot you're in relationally, physically, emotionally, vocationally. Jesus knows where you're at. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, why is this happening to me? Or, hey, God, I, you seem to be answering everybody else's prayers but not mine. Would you keep these two thoughts in mind? Number one, 
God's purposes are always at work in your life, even when you don't understand what's going on. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, don't misunderstand that verse. That verse doesn't say that all things are good because not all things are good. Hurricanes are not good. Illnesses are not good. Sicknesses are not good. Miscarriages are not good. Dumb decisions that we make. But what this verse says is both the things that I can control and the things that I can't control, God will work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purposes. So even when you don't understand what's going on, even when it's not being resolved in the right timing that you would like it to be, God's purposes are at work in you. Secondly, when you're journeying through one of those, why is this happening to me? Or you're wondering, hey, God, where are you? God's presence is always with you. His presence is always with you. When he reached the spot, I got to believe that Zacchaeus wasn't in the best emotional state, ostracized by his friends, afraid to come out in public. His own conscience probably seared, knowing that he was making a living from extortion. And yet when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he called him by name. You see, I think when it comes to understanding God, we have a better we have a better comprehension of his omnipresence than we do his right here, right next to me presence. See, we can comprehend that God is everywhere at once, that God can be in Africa and America, that God can be Lord over the lands and the seas, but sometimes we forget that God is right here, right now, right next to us present, that he really is as close as the mention of his name. Sometimes you have to remind yourself that you serve a God who's not only omnipresent, but you, have, you serve a God who's right here, right next to you present. I, again, I discovered the, the power and the security of presence with Jackson. So about a year ago, Jackson and I, through a lot of coercing and a lot of uh, a lot of work convinced his mom that it was okay for Jackson to have his first unsupervised overnighter at Papa and Mimi's house. So we got permission, and it was all, we were all set. I went to pick up Jackson. He had his backpack full, and as I was walking out, Jackson's mom, my daughter, gave me a three-by-five card with seven specific instructions on it. I thought, really? Well, I didn't say, I thought, really? And so I started reading these instructions. I got down to number three. Number three said, Dad, comma, after 6 p.m., make sure that in his sipper cup, it's two parts water, one part apple juice. I thought, no way. <laughs> At Papa's house, it's 100% Dr. Pepper, baby. We're not doing any of this mixed stuff. So I didn't even read the rest of the instructions. I said, I got it, babe. We got in the car. I ripped that sucker up and threw it in the back seat going, we're going to Papa's house. None of this mixed drinks. It's pure Dr. Pepper, baby. And uh, so we got to the house, and it was going great. It, everything was going super. We watched some videos. We played some games, and it was just about bedtime. And got his jammies on, and about the time it was supposed to settle down, 
a southwest Missouri storm just kind of whipped up. I mean, it was a doozy. Loud thunder, flashing lightning. And I could tell Jackson was a little anxious. So I said, little buddy, you want to sleep in Papa's room? He said, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And I said, all right. So I, I made this little bed kind of right down from my side of the mattress and some blankets and pillow and had him lay down there. And I said, now fall asleep, Jackson. Just lay there. And boom, up pounding thunder would just reverberate through the skies and Jackson would jump up and I'd say, you're okay, buddy. And a flash of lightning and another thunder would hit and he'd jump up and happened about three times. About the third time that it happened, I said something. Now, I, I know preachers are guilty sometimes of saying things they don't think about and, and you, you say something that you wish you could give them back or you say something sometimes that you don't know where that came from. It just kind of came out and... Uh, so he jumped up. I could tell he was anxious. I said, Jackson, listen, you don't have to be afraid of thunder. I promise you what I said makes no meteorological sense, makes no theological sense. In fact, I don't even know who programmed it into my mind, but I said, buddy, thunder is nothing more than God moving his furniture up in heaven. So you don't have to, <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know. He went, oh, okay, and he laid down. I thought, cool, it worked. You know, I'll let some future pastor deal with his theological concerns about that. But at this point, I just wanted him to lay down and go to sleep. And so he laid back down, and there was a little thunder and no movement. Then there was, so I thought, okay, this is good. So I've got my CPAP machine right here, and I, I put the mask on. I got hoses coming out everywhere. You know, I look like some alien on Star Wars. It's, it's blowing air, and I roll over. And when I roll over, I'm thinking, all is well. And then it hit, man, one of the big cracker thunders, and it just kind of echoed for a while, and I'm laying there. And grandpar grandparents have this sense. I could tell there were a pair of eyes looking at me. <laughs> so I rolled back over. Now, he wasn't standing all the way up. He was just over top of my mattress, just kind of right there over the top. And I rolled over, and I looked, and before I could take my mask off and talk to him, he said, Papa? Do you think I could lay with you till God quits moving his furniture up in heaven? <laughs> I said, you bet, little buddy. And so I picked him up and I plopped him down on my, just right next to me. And, and within 30 seconds, he was out. Just sleeping sound. My presence represented a sense of security that gave to him a sense of protection that in the middle of a storm, although he knew it wasn't going to hurt him, he had the ability to fall asleep calmly because he was next to Papa. Come on, church. God really is our refuge. God really is our strength. God really is an ever-present help in time of trouble. The name of the Lord is a mighty strong tower where the righteous can run and are safe. God hasn't given to us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Jesus knows exactly where you're at. And if you'll recognize that he's not just an omnipresent God, he's a right here, right now, next to you, present God. That can bring a sense of security and peace when you're going through, why is this happening to me? And, boy, God, I'm in a hurry and it doesn't seem like you are. Presence. Presence. Jesus reached the spot. 
And I'm so thankful in my Christian journey and my, my lifetime of following Jesus. He always reaches the spot. He knows exactly where I'm. We serve an on-time God. And he's here. There's a third there's a third transformational truth between Jesus and Zacchaeus that could be a game changer for some in this room. See, not only did Jesus call him by name and not only did Jesus know exactly where he was at, even though it was peculiar, up in a sycamore fig tree, but watch this. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life to want to do life with him. He invites himself. He says, Zacchaeus... You come down immediately. I want to go to your house. He wasn't inviting Zacchaeus to follow him up to the temple. He says, I want to go to your house. Oh, that's fascinating to me to know that Jesus came from heaven to earth to make God known to us, but on the journey while here on earth, he's inviting Zacchaeus into his life. He's inviting himself into Zacchaeus' life. And this morning... Jesus is inviting himself into your life. Jesus is inviting himself into your world. Jesus is inviting himself into your situation. You know, over the years, I've developed that some people have, dubbed, have sort of conjured up these misconceptions about this invitation. They've developed these misconceptions about God's desire to want to come in and do life with you. The first misconception has to do with we think God's unreasonable. Some people don't invite, accept this invitation of Christ to come into their life because they think, well, if I accept that, then God is going to put all of these unreasonable demands on my life. So they don't accept the invitation. Unfortunately, some people think that God's unreliable, so they don't accept Christ's invitation because they think God's unreliable. You know, that's usually born out of a sense of hurt. You see, when someone hurts you, you not only blame the person, but we have a tendency to want to blame God. God, why did you allow this or that to happen? And because of that, we think God's unreliable, so we don't accept Christ's invitation to come into our lives. Third misconception that's been conjured up over the years has to do with thinking that God is somehow unconcerned. You may be here this morning and say, you know, I believe there's a God, but I don't really think he's interested in me. He's got bigger things in this world to deal with. Oh, friends, that's a misconception. God's very much interested in you, so much so that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come to heaven, come from heaven to earth to die for your sin. Paul said in Ephesians 10 that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good deeds that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And when God the Father sees you not fulfilling those good deeds that he created you to do, he's very much interested in you. That is a big issue to God. So I want to encourage you this morning. Christ is inviting himself into your life to do life with you. And I got to tell you, when you accept Christ's invitation to come into your life to do life with you, God the Father takes parental responsibility for your life. And I don't know about you, but I would want nobody else taking parental responsibility for my life rather than God the Father. Amen.
earthly, earthly fathers will disappoint you. Earthly fathers can make mistakes. Some of you don't even have a concept of what it is to have a healthy, earthly father. But when you accept Christ into your life, God the Father takes parental responsibility. And when he takes parental responsibility, that's a great power. I discovered, the, I discovered kind of the, the power and the validity of uh, parental responsibility this last Easter. This last Easter, we went to New Life Assembly in Springfield because that's where my youngest daughter, her husband, and their two children, my two grandkids, go to church. Mason is two, Kinsley is one, and so we showed up there on Easter. The kids were already checked into their Sunday school nursery area, and we came into the service. I thought, you know what? When the service is over, I'm going to slip out and I'm going to go pick up Mason. Mason is my two-year-old redhead grandson, and he doesn't know I'm here, and I'm just going to pick him up, and we're going to have a good little fun little bonding time. So I had it all figured out. Soon as the pastor said, bow your head and close your eyes, I was, I was on a mission. I was going to go, and I was going to retrieve Mason. Man, things were going as planned. Uh, pastor Ryan gave a great Easter sermon. He brought the sermon to a close, and he said, Congregation, please bow your head and close your eyes. And when he did, I slipped out. I walked out. I turned. I went to the children's wing. I started walking down with the nursery area, and I got about 10 feet, 10 feet from that nursery room. Now, all the doors in that church are half doors. You can kind of see into the nursery, and, and the door is just, just a half-sized door. I got about 10 feet. Mason was playing with some Legos, but then he spotted me. And when he spotted me, he dropped his Legos, and he turned. He said, Papa, Papa. And I said, Mason, how are you? And I got right up to the door, and I just started to reach in and pick up Mason when the nursery worker walked in right in front of me. She said, excuse me, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here to pick up Mason. She says, do you have his identification badge? I thought, woman, I am the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And I could tell what she was thinking. White boy, I don't care if you think you're LeBron James. I got to have that badge. <laughs> How many of you know she was doing her job? She was, come on, let's give it up for nursery workers. <laughs> but I was not going to be able to retrieve Mason without his identification. So I walked back in. I said, Kaylee, do you got that little? She says, oh, yeah, here. I went and presented it to her. I said, here's his badge. And she handed me Mason. She said, he's been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> parental responsibility right as a father pitieth his children so the lord pitieth them that fear and serve him no good thing will he withhold to them that love him and are called according to his purposes I'm telling you, don't you dare not accept Christ's invitation to come into your life and to do life with you and to do parenting with you, to do marriage with you, to do career with you. Because when you accept Christ's invitation into your life, God the Father takes parental responsibility for you. And the Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered of by the Lord. And while we're on this journey, according to Psalm 32, 8, he will instruct us and guide us and advise us in the way we should go. So this morning, Christ is extending an invitation to want to do life with us. After all, the very last words that we read in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He still does. Jesus still loves finding lost, lonely people, people like Zacchaeus whose identity was all tied up in what they do, but yet were incredibly lonely. Jesus likes to find people who have fallen drastically short of their dreams and their expectations. Jesus likes to find people who feel like they have no purpose. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus, you got a lot of money, but you have no happiness. Jesus likes to find people like that. You say, well, Pastor Clay, you know, I'm going to make it my goal sometime this year. I'm going to really make it my goal to accept Christ's invitation to come in and do life with me. I got to tell you, friend, it takes a whole lot more than a goal. It takes being intentional. It takes taking the initiative. It's all about finding purpose. Goals and purpose are, are two different things. See, goals are good. Those are those things you give yourself to 100% of the time for a short while. But hear me clearly this morning. Goals do not define you. Your purpose defines you. If you don't reach your goals, you can try, try, try again. But if you don't find your purpose in life, you'll never be satisfied. However, once you find your purpose, you can come up short on your goals and still feel fulfilled and content. Zacchaeus found purpose because he found Jesus. Jesus found Zacchaeus because people matter to him. You matter to God. That's why he knows your name. That's why he knows exactly where you're at. And that's why through the Holy Spirit, he continues to present Christ's invitation to you to want to do life with you. So I'd submit to you this morning, Christ is looking for you. He knows your name, he knows where you're at. And he's extending an invitation to want to do life with you. Let today, let today be the day that you accept that invitation and discover your purpose and meaning in life. Hey, let's pray together. God, I want to thank you today for your word. Um, and thank you that today is not a parable. This wasn't a story to illustrate some truth. This actually happened. Jesus, Zacchaeus, in Jericho, under a fig tree, encountered each other. And there's some great, great truth about that. Today, Lord, I pray for two groups of people that may be in this room. Perhaps there's many in this room that have never accepted the free gift of eternal life that you offer. Maybe they've never personally accepted your invitation to come into their life to be both Savior and Lord. Today, God, may you give courage for those people to respond. As well, Lord, I'm well aware that there are people in this room that are now stewarding things that two months ago were never even on their radar. Whether it's a spiritual leader trying to navigate through the destruction of a hurricane, or maybe it's a young couple that's facing physical complications with their small child and they're desperately needing healing. Maybe it's somebody in their 60s that's contemplating retirement. They just, they just want to know your will and your, your way. I, I thank you today that you invite yourself into our lives to not only redeem us, but then journey with us. So today, 
May you give courage to your people to say yes to your invitation to come into their life. Yeah, I'd like you to just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a couple moments. As it relates to that first group of people that I made reference to, it's possible that you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Clay, would you include me in your final prayer? I've never come to that place in my spiritual life where I know for certain that if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I I don't live with this full confidence that I've been adopted into God's forever family. I don't live with this, this full assurance that I belong to him and he's mine. And maybe if you're honest, you'd say, you know, I do not live with any sense of security that God the Father has parental responsibility for my life. But today, today can be that day. And Christ is inviting himself into your life to say, hey, I don't want you to have to live with the guilt of your sins. I I don't want you to have to live with a sense of purposelessness. I don't want you to have to live with kind of wondering every week how I'm going to survive, how I'm going to make things. Stop living for yourselves and accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus has. So if that's you this morning, if you say, Pastor Clay, include me in your final prayer. I want to cross the line. I I want to go from just knowing about Christianity and knowing about the church to really becoming a Christ follower who lives with the confidence that God, the Father in heaven, has parental responsibility for mine. If that describes you today and you would like me to include you in my final prayer, then while everybody else's heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and look at me because I want to be able to remember you in my final prayer. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you, thank you. Someone, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. God created this Sunday just for you. Thank you. God bless, God bless, God bless. Thank you, thank you. God, that invitation, you know that invitation. You're feeling something in your heart. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Thank you, ma'am, God bless you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, God bless you in the stadium. How about in the balcony? Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Wow, several hands. Thank I, I affirm your courage today to recognizing that Jesus knows exactly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That God knows exactly where you're at. And his love is drawing you into an understanding that he's not some cosmic killjoy in outer space, but he's right here, right now, right next to you, wanting to do life with you. Thank you, God bless you. Wow, it's really cool. Hey, this is what I want to do. There may have been 50 hands. I, I just affirm you and bless you in the name of the Lord. That's what I want to do. I want to lead this entire congregation in a prayer. In fact, I'd like you to repeat the prayer after me. And what we're going to do in this prayer is we're going to recognize that Jesus did come from heaven to earth to forgive us of our sins. And in the prayer, we're actually going to accept Christ's invitation to come into our lives. We're going to verbally out loud say, we accept your invitation to come into our life, Lord. And um, just excited that for many of you who've raised your hand, this prayer is a game changer for you. I can't promise you that when you walk out of here, the circumstances of your life will be different. But boy, I can promise you that you now will have a 
heavenly father that takes parental responsibility for your life and you're not alone you lack wisdom you can ask it of him you lack courage you can ask it of him you lack a sense of discernment you can ask it of him and that's what being adopted into God's forever family is all about so Westover would you repeat this prayer after me Lord Jesus I do believe that you are the Christ the son of the living God who came from heaven to earth to die for my sins. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and establish yourself as my Savior and my Lord. So with my mouth I confess and in my heart I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I accept your invitation to come into my life and do life with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah congratulations. Hallelujah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ah, I want to encourage you to accept that prayer as something that God had prescribed today for you to do. If you don't have a church home, this is a phenomenal church that wants to journey and walk with you and help you to understand that God will always know your name, that God will always know the spot that you're at, and that God is constantly wanting to invite himself in your life. Now here's what I'd like to close. Can we stand together, please? And I'm going to immediately invite our prayer team to come to the front. I'd mentioned that there are two groups of people that are here. Those of you who, man, have never sealed the deal by praying a prayer to accept Christ's invitation, congratulations, I affirm that. But I'm also well aware that in this house of worship this morning, there are many of you who are Christ followers. You're all in. You love God. You, you, you want your life to, to reflect a life of obedience to the Lord. And you're all in in the church. But if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, Pastor, <laughs> I'm going through something that I never saw coming. It was a surprise. Our kids are going through some things, and it seems like the more we try to reach out and, and help, the farther away we push them. Maybe you have some adult children that are making bad decisions, and it's just killing you on the inside. Maybe you're dealing with something at work that seems like it's, it's irresolvable. The more you try to talk about it, the worse you feel. The more you try to kind of uh, manage it, it just seems like the enemy is using the place where you work overtime head games with you. I, I don't know what it is, but I would say to all of us who are Christ followers in this room, Jesus' invitation to do life with us is not just to redeem us, but he wants to journey with us. And that's the beautiful thing about serving Jesus on this side of heaven, is that he doesn't just create us, wind us up, and then let us go. Now, Jesus himself promised that he would give to us the third person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit to reside inside of us, to comfort us, to guide us, to give us wisdom, to just remind us that God the Father in heaven knows what we're going through. So I'm going to pray a short prayer, and when I say amen, 
If you're here and you'd like our prayer team to pray with you, maybe through something you're going through or an issue, that's what the end of the service is all about, to join our faith with your faith and believe that God will just remind you that he's got it. He's got you in the palm of his hand. In fact, he's got your name written right across your hand, his hand. And just remind you that he's God, God all by himself and strong. Also, if you were one of the many that prayed earlier with me to accept Christ, I, I, I want to invite you to come as well. I'm not, nobody's wanting to embarrass you. We just want to welcome you into the family of God, and we want to make a point of contact and say we're here to journey with you in your spiritual walk and in your new walk with Jesus. So we're going to take about the last five minutes of this service to do two things. We're going to worship the Lord and create an atmosphere of uh, just presence of God in here and I'm going to invite if you prayed that prayer earlier or you're a Christ follower and you just want somebody to join you in prayer um, this is your moment don't let this Sunday pass you by because not all Sundays are created equal and who knows but the Lord might start a miracle process by coming forward and having someone pray with you so Father, Father in the next couple of minutes as we lift our voices in worship and we take steps of initiative to let someone else join their faith with ours and either welcoming us to the family of God or praying a prayer of faith on our behalf. I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be accomplished, and there would be incredible transactions that take place in these altars. I pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come on. If you need to respond, you walk forward right now.